And it's this understanding where physical, technical and procedural design help influence the environment within the building and ultimately enable the security team to control that space better. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Security by design and building security is increasingly in the remit of today's protector. Today, we're really pleased to welcome Chris Aldous, founder of Design Security Limited, great friend here in the UK of many people that you know listen to this podcast. It's going to be a pleasure to look at this topic, but also quite where the trusted advisor sort of fits in. I'm here with Elijah Shaw and together I think this is quite an evolving topic. Elijah, why is this important for uh, the protector community, particularly now? Here's why the topic's important. Because this is a subject that we as protectors don't normally discuss. And so our listeners are listening to this, uh, listen to Chris, the subject matter expert, and getting something that they wouldn't normally get elsewhere. Mm. And if that little piece of information helps uh, them be more successful in the detail, helps them get selected, uh, makes them more valuable to a protectee, then it's all worth it. But Elijah, with ever-increasing demands from principals for more adventurous and more outlandish security systems, isn't the real skill the ability to say no? The ability to be the department of yes, but uh, and 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 manage expectations. Of course, everybody wants to be able to say yes to the principal. And in fact, I always joke about the one thing that a client never wants to hear is the word no. Yeah. Now, somewhere in the middle of that is yes, but, and you can say but. You just have to be able to give the realities of the situation. And part of that means that the foundation that you're talking about must be a foundation of knowledge. So you have to be um, you have to be very well versed in the topic. So that way, when you give them that counter and you say the but, the but makes sense to them. And of course, you know, some protectees are very set in their ways, very stubborn um, or, or very focus driven. and They know what they want. But that's why. We strive to become subject matter experts. So that way, when we are discussing things, we're coming from a point where you can offer the realities of the situation. And whether those are, you know, budget constraints uh, in, in the topics that we're talking about today, those are, you know, questions about the the infrastructure, like this, this can't happen because of this, uh, but also offering alternative solutions is, is always helpful. And that's actually probably where we should frame this. Security by design, yes, has its own skill set. And we're going to learn from Chris you know, quite a bit on that. But the managing of expectations and citing security by design as one pillar of your trusted advisor career. And, and yes, I get it. Some people don't want to ever become a trusted advisor. Some people want to go into training and some people want to retire completely. I get it. But if you are going to be a trusted advisor, then this might be one of the key strings to your bow. So let's get into it. Looking forward to speaking with Chris Aldous about security by design in relation to EP. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. 
security by design and its implications for executive security. We're delighted today to welcome Chris Aldous, founder, owner of Design Security Limited, uh, Sean West and myself. We're delighted to have you on. How are you doing? Great to be here. Thanks very much. Um, um, quite an interesting topic we've got to, to talk around uh, and I look forward to um, hopefully imparting a little bit of my hard-won knowledge back to a wider audience. Perfect. You know, well, that's that's what we like to hear. That's what we're trying to achieve. But then let's get into it. Let's frame the problem. Like, why on earth are we talking about this anyway? What is the problem with the security by design that we really need to solve right now? But but it's not solved. Okay. In, in, in my view, I think there's just a complete lack of understanding of how um, securing through that design process for a new build or even an existing build is 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 forgotten about. People reshape buildings, remodel, but they don't there they don't consider security at the outset. And even though they know they're likely to put in the typical things, CCTV access control, intruder detection, which are technical systems, but then they don't consider, well, what can we change about the environment of our building to make it less susceptible to crime? I mean if you look back realistically it had its roots um back in the 70s through crime prevention and environmental design and that's come on because it will apply within a built environment and um the police have here in the uk have tried to push forward that secured by design type idea which was mainly focused around housing developments because trying to reduce the amount of burglaries but if you take the same principles on any business operation, in theory, should be looking to protect its assets against the defined um, risk element. And therefore, understanding that built environment and what you can do leads them to have a lower risk profile. Unfortunately, not many people understand it. Okay, well, well, hopefully we can clear that up for a few people uh, in today's uh, session. But uh, let's talk just briefly, you know, about you. Where does your passion for this topic come from? Um, that's a good question. Um, uh, for me, it's it's because I've seen it done so wrong so many times. I've been reliant on, uh, yeah, don't worry, that wall will prevent this happening to you. This door will prevent that happening to you, only to find out but they don't. Um, so, um, it, it, you know, uh, some hard lessons learned. So now for me, it's about being able to take the knowledge that I've been very fortunate to gain on some really significant projects and look at that to say, okay, these are the, this is the problem. How do we tell the architect what to draw? You know, what walls I need, what doors I need. How do I impart my knowledge to the operational side? You know, how many security officers are going to need? And that's where I find my drive is, is being able to link together the physical, the technical and inform that, that procedural. Okay, no, that's 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 fantastic, and I know you, you've mentioned in the past some of your high-profile projects, which uh, which which are which are amazing. Um, and 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 I guess you mentioned before awareness, right, being an issue. Uh, but let's just ask that as our final quickfire question, I suppose. Um, what should the completely uninitiated security professional, you know, do to start becoming aware? And in particular, I'm thinking, uh, what should the EP professional who's completely unaware about this uh, do? Yeah, uh, 
it's, it's like all, all things you, you you don't know you don't know what you don't know <laughs> um but what we try to encourage um particularly a lot of my work is spent with architectural teams etc is try to encourage them to look at um seeking expert advice uh but here in the uk we're quite lucky um depending on what sort of project you're working on there may be a directive there that you must uh, engage with um uh somebody that's on the RSES register, so that's a Registry of Security Engineers and Specialists, or a Chartered Security Professional, or um, what's commonly termed as a, um, a suitably qualified security specialist. So there's certain criterias that if they're going to look for certain planning um, to, to be able to answer some planning requirements, they need to engage with the right sort of person. As an industry, what we're poor at because most, I think most of these, when you mention, and I always call it the dirty S word, when you mention security, most people think it's physical guarding, cameras, and that's that's it, you know. So it's saying, no, in actual fact, there's a whole wider uh, um, estate there that needs to be considered because it's all right putting a camera up, but then if you've got nobody to respond to it or the response is going to be so slow, then it still doesn't really buy down the risk. So it's this getting the industry, the wider industry to say, look, if you're going to go down all these routes and you're going to deal in a built environment, then go and speak to somebody that works in the built environment security side of life that, that can help point you in the right direction rather than just throwing lots of um, staff and kit and equipment at a problem because chances are you may be able to change the environment with a simple planning change or speak better to your lighting contractor and increase light levels, which may have a, a better impact on pushing crime and antisocial behaviour or whatever the problem tends to be away from your building. The other aspect I will say about this is all too often, we always think all of our threats come from outside of our buildings when most were actually already, we would have been already allowed them in. So again, it's this understanding where physical technical and procedural design help influence the environment within the building and ultimately enable the security team to control that space better that's a great response chris and it's um no, it's, it's really interesting because i've had a lot of experience myself in working for high net worth individuals and it was a huge learning process when i've stepped into some roles and we've carried out renovations there's been renovations carried out on the property and I've been involved in upgrading the security systems and bringing in the relevant contractors to do so. And some of the things you mentioned there, some of the things I've had experience of, which if you're not aware, you know, you, like exactly what you said, security industry doesn't do it well. And sometimes it's a dirty word. And a lot of the time when high net worth does a renovation on a building, security is the last thing that's considered. They just think, yes, we'll stick some cameras up and some alarm system and everything's cool. But a lot of the time they'll do the renovation and now put these cameras there, but you can't do it because you haven't exactly what you said, you haven't gone through the planning. And if you're working on, you know, these high net worth individuals, they like to buy nice buildings, you know, it could be a grade one, grade two listed building. And you can't just go chasing the walls out on these places. You know, there's a lot of planning aspects of how you can do that and keep the building looking as, as good as it could be, how it's meant to look. Um, 
So yeah, no, it's it, it's really interesting. But our our community is more executive protection. So I was just wondering, what is there any sort of lessons that, as an executive protection professional, is there any lessons they can learn about the level of security by design in a, in a given building? Yeah, um, you know, we often get asked to go and review security at buildings, you know, and, and the first thing we're trying to do is say, well, against what do you want us to review? Um, because if we, if we don't understand what that design basis threat is and what it's likely to, you know, how that attacker profile comes at the building and the systems, etc., then it's very hard to sort of turn around to the client and say, yeah, you've got a perfectly secure space here, etc. So understanding that threat profile is always key when you start looking at the physical, the technical and the procedural controls that the security team or in, in, in a lot of cases, it's just the facilities management team think that they've got, okay? So defining that and being realistic about it um, helps inform the, the, the process for identifying whether you've got good security or no, you, you, you know, if this, if this particular scenario happens, um, you may as well all pack your bags and run. Right. So, but how do we point? How do we point people at it? I mean, what we tend to ask at the outset is, how old is the building? Because understanding the ages of the building give us some indications of some of the build techniques that would have been used in those periods um, to 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 do the initial construction and whether it's likely to stand up or fall down, etc. Obviously, the, the the international location of a building, because you get different build techniques in different parts of the world. You know, go to America, everything's timber um, out in the out in the sticks. A lot of the houses are just timber framed and then clad. Um, obviously, cities, you know, skyscrapers, etc. They tend to be steel frame and then clad. Um, you go to the Middle East; they're more likely to be all poured concrete and lots of rebar. So those all those understanding those elements help you understand. Okay, if this is what my if this is the threat my EP team are trying to deal with, this is what the structure of the building should give us as a level of resistance. Mm -hmm. I, I like what you said earlier as well. You mentioned something about uh, something not working, and I believe I, I've experienced this myself. And you can go in, you can question a team and say, "So how do you stop this threat? Or what does what have you got in place to stop this?" And they'll say, "I don't know. It's this this door there is a." whatever they call it and this will stop someone coming through I'll say what happens if you if you do this and they say well that will stop it and then you can just give it a nudge or something maybe not a great example but then the door opens and they're like oh we thought this would stop this and it's until things are stress tested that that third time so, you know a lot of people will you know pull the wall and say yeah we've put this system in place that's it and that's what they'll explain to their clients and principles and yes you've now got this system this is you're now secure but they don't have people then to come and stress test what has been installed and yeah. what the system is meant to do and, and does it actually work and do what it says on the tin yeah it, you you often see um i was asked to look at a building not not long ago and and the the, the ultimately the the operator of the building was saying look oh, that this security review done is there anything we can we can ignore and I said, well, there, that, that first one there where it says, um, make sure that the, the glazing in the window is, is, is blast resistant. They said, and this is all this glazing is up in the roof of the building. And they said, why is that? I said, because it's pointless. Your building will fall down around you because 
you've got no control over vehicles getting up to and into your building you can't stop anything so i wouldn't worry about doing the glass on your roof until you can secure your perimeter and prevent a vehicle getting close enough to to collide with your your structure you know? so it's those little things if you if you if you haven't got tried and tested products out there as you say stress tested products you know, here in the uk we're very fortunate um, because there's a lot of testing goes on. You know, I mentioned uh, to, to people, oh, have a look in the red book. Um, no, it's not the one that Chairman Mao wrote all those years ago. This is, you know, this is the loss prevention certification book, you know, where, where they test things against forced entry. And, and they, they actually list out the types of tools that they test. All these tools and techniques we know get used by criminal operators. So, you know, these, this gives you the portfolio. You can then look for, you know, thickness uh, um, suppliers of walls that will withstand that level of physical violence uh, to give you time to do stuff. Now, don't get me wrong; they're not some, they're not the most ornate objects. Some of these, but when you start looking at, okay, well, we're only going to deploy this for say the the say the panic room area. And we're only going to be in the panic room, we estimate no more than half an hour to hold in place, by which stage, because here in the UK, we do have a pretty good policing organisation, and hopefully they'll come to our aid. Um, but, you know, it's, it's people understanding what that threat is, how long they've got to be able to withstand the threat, and what that response is going to be, because that all influences then the, the wider design. You know, if, if, if you know that your response is going to be there within 10 to 15 minutes, then, you know, put in a wall that will give you 20 minutes so you've got a little bit of leeway. It's those sorts of practical considerations. But, but like you say, Sean, with ultra-high net worth individuals, it's, um, it can be a different, uh, a, a, a different argument there. So, again, it's, it's you know, recently completed a project where he doesn't want, he doesn't want um, lots of cameras everywhere. He wants to know what everybody else is doing, but he doesn't want to be in that surveillance envelope himself. So we've looked at different ways that you know, he's able, if you like, to blank out the bits where he is mm -hmm. and his CP team can control that and nobody else can, you know. So the, if we understand what the requirement is, we can normally find a design approach to satisfy both the client's thinking and also the EP team's commander who say, well, I don't, I don't want him to be in a, you know, into, it, I don't want him to fall into a black hole. I want to be able to see what's going on around him. So we we, we have done those sorts of uh, those sorts of things in the past. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a funny world, the high net worth um, world. You know, they can have the best advisors in the world. They can afford to pay them, but generally they want what they want. You can you can give them all the best advice in the world, and then. You find a lot that's like they go with you know what they want to do anyway, and sometimes they take it on board, and it's great. Sometimes they don't, and then you, you know you can get away with it, and it's fine, and nothing ever happens. But when it goes wrong, it's like why haven't you done this? But you know, we told you this on you know dear dot, but you didn't listen to that yeah. advice. But that, that that that's that, that's a key thing because a lot you know at the end of the day we we consult on security and, and it, for us it's about saying to the client you know whoever they are that's what you've told us your problem is this is where we've assessed the risk they've agreed to that then we then say well these are the control measures you know and and 
one of those control measures is accept it and get on. And if they say, yeah, we'll accept it and get on, well, there we go, sign here. We've done as much as we can at that point, because if, 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 if they've gone, yes, now you've made us aware of the risk, we're happy with the control regime we've got, we're going to continue to carry that risk as part of our appetite. Fine. You know, they might review that decision <laughs> down the line and, and then want to implement further controls, but at least it's on their risk register. That's and we do find a lot of organizations don't even have a basic risk register, um, which consider the security elements coming into play. It's a, a lot of time it, it comes down to cost as well. I mean, of course, all of these people want everything and they want it now. But then as soon as you put everything together and you say, this is what it's going to cost. It's like, ouch, I wasn't expecting that level of cost. Um, okay, so yeah, we can we can accept that risk <laughs> because yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it's not cheap. It costs a lot of money um, to provide such a yeah. service and or, or, level of security. Yeah, or at least they can build it into their, you know, if, 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 if they do, uh, you know, have, have a bit of a long-term plan, at least you can then build it into that cost register to say, okay, you know, this is a project in itself, because let's be, you know, things like hostile vehicle mitigation measures, you just don't think, when I say they don't fall off the back of a lorry, they're expensive, you know, so it's this, okay, we know we've got a risk, what can we do in the short term to reduce that as much as possible, and in the long term, we'll maybe go for a planned, you know, installation of control measures, etc. Um, so, it, but ultimately, it, for us, it's about giving the, the parties the knowledge to say, this is where you sit, these are the controls. This will take, you know, a year to, to get done. That's something you can do, you know, here and now to reduce the risk or, like I say, just accept it. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, in, in the executive protection sector, you know, it's, it's a short career span, really, and people need to move on and look at developing their careers because they're not going to be a bodyguard forever. We all age, get older, and we have to have different skills. I'm only, tw- I'm only 21. <laughs> <laughs> We all have to develop our careers. And, you know, a lot of people get taken on as trusted advisors to their principal or look to go in to become a security consultant. So, so how can someone who's a, got a career in executive protection, can they incorporate security by design as a skill set? And or how do they partner with other experts to deliver the advice to their principals and clients? I would certainly look at the... Um, some of the well-known course courses out there um you know my own sort of background i i, I originally uh, have, having finished doing all the the silly stuff and running around all the dangerous places of the world uh, thought how do i how do i civilianize and make sense of of, of of what i know so i i went through the asis route and did the uh, cpp psp um um they're, they're okay um they, they, they give you uh, they give you a, a, a big bookshelf to put all your books on um <laughs> but they give you a good way to formalize yeah when i say formalize an argument you, you, you as we've touched on earlier there's always a cost everything we do there's a cost so it's a way to rationalize that cost uh, and then present that back to a client um there are other, other, other courses out there. So I, I would say to, to people is look at the things like the CSMP, slightly different. They still use similar materials from the CPP PSP, uh, but there that what they actually try to get out of you or out, out the, the people that take part 
you know, you actually have to understand the problem and then look for all your books and come and you know, and write up a, a mitigation strategy. So it's not just a case, you know, the CPP PSP tends to be learn these books when you see this question, tick the box. So, you know, when you, when you, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've fallen foul of this myself in, in back in the early days is there is a lot of, um, uh, not resentment, but you have to spend a lot of time knowing your subject in order to influence architects and mechanical electrical designers and door specialists, etc., as to why you want to do it a particular way. So those courses help you put the building block in place and then individuals have then in many respects got to go out and get some practical experience mm -hmm. because not all doors are the same not all windows are the same and so on and so forth yeah. no, it's good good advice actually i mean like i said i've had experience of implementing things and i know you, you talk about doors I, I remember a recent experience with uh renovation we have going on at one property in the capital and the all the the, build, the building contract, they all ploughed on with all of the work that they're doing, uh, that AVIT teams, you know, the, the security yep. um, CCTV team, like different contractors that were coming in. And one talking about doors, and um, it's amazing the amount of doors and different levels of protection you can put in and but to keep the decoration of the door. And it was going backwards and forwards with the architect who went in a different... Um, direction and I says no this is what the client wants so we have to make this work in, in this manner and it was we, we got to it we got it worked out but yeah it was it, it's right we just said that we, by doing it a different way and learning them skills you, you'd have the building blocks to I don't know strengthen your argument I guess yeah yeah we, we, we just we're still on a, on a project at the moment which there, the client originally came out with some quite well, with some quite um, um, robust physical control measures. Unfortunately, the developer had not understood what those control measures would be, and then you start saying, "Well, that door's you know here you got a number of doors. That door you're not going to buy from B and Q." there's only one supplier for that door you're looking at nine to 15 grand a door uh weight wise it's going to be around about 200 250 kilos um that changes their build methodology completely i said and then if you were planning stud partition walls they won't support a standard stud partition wall won't support that door and this is what you'll need to do to the wall and then, but that's all increased weight within the building yeah but then if you'd asked us at the beginning of this project before you, then we could have highlighted some of these complications to you before you've run off down, down the, let's get it up quick and move on. Yeah. And, you know, they, they're under a lot of stress, I guess, from the, from the end user, the client, because they want their new home or property estate. I, I want it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's under the, the same stress and pressures, I guess. And yeah. But it's, you know, if, if you if you can get if you can sit with the architect, you know, if you work with the client and you can sit with the architect, because sometimes the architects don't interpret the yeah. brief or 
you know, there isn't enough um, analysis of the brief in the security context. You know, when you start breaking it down, because then you can sit with the architect and say, well, here, this this isn't this is a you know, this wall will need to be up armored, da, 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 and therefore any doors, any penetration through this wall. Because then the architect has now got a better understanding of how it's going to impact on their packages, because everything in everything we do is broken into different packages. You know, so it's this, ah, right. And I, I'm doing stuff at the moment with architects, uh, if you like a walkthrough, talk through. If they say this, this is what it leads to. This is what you've got to consider to try and um, educate people better. Yeah, uh, I think on a lot of these projects, you need you know a good project manager at the helm. You know, he holds everyone to account. You know, you're going around the table. Okay, every Wednesday, two o'clock, we have this Zoom meeting, whatever. You go, Sean, right? Where are you with your work? Chris, where are you? What problems are you facing? It holds everyone to account and everyone knows exactly where they are, where they're at. This will be done by next week. I need this doing. And, you know, you need someone to crack the whip who's an independent yeah. that's working for the client. And, you know, they don't have association with the other businesses involved in the in the development and, and build. But, yeah, no, definitely yeah. a good project manager is worth their weight in gold. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. Um, so, so, so what is your advice to, I guess, the people in the trusted advisor role who, who are looking to implement security solutions or harden their ultra-high net worth principles home um, with regards to system selection, building selection? Um, what advice have you got to give? Define, uh, define the operational element. What is it that you, you know, what is it we're trying to protect and, and where? Obviously, from an EP perspective, the focus is the principle. But then you say, okay, if if X if X happens, we go into this nice little, you know, we, we want to hold in place within the building. Fine. What systems in the building make that space inhabitable? What what could be from an attacker's perspective something that they could damage, they can control, okay, that would now make the space uninhabitable and force the team to now make a move because again once they're now out in the open they're easier easier to deal with and that so it's it's, it's looking at the problem from an attacker's perspective because you've defined that design basis threat what is it we now have as a control and do those controls still work given those scenarios and if they don't work what is it we've got to change okay so Certainly, if you like walking back over your own notes, I mean, I've written strategies numerous times for different things and how the building from a security perspective works. But I always get somebody else to read it just to make sure, one, that the terminology I'm using is understood and flesh out and highlight likely impacts of, uh, you know, of, of those of those changes um, on how we do things. So um, certainly always walk walk your ground, understand your operational brief, but then look at all the physical and technical elements that need or that, that you need for that scenario to work in your favour and then see how susceptible those elements are to somebody either negligently or maliciously damaging them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you know, simple things like if you're, let's say you're in a, an office complex, all office complexes got, normally got a centralised fire system. You might have tenanted offices which, which have their own controls, but ultimately the core of the building's got a fire system. Can, you know, how easy is it to initiate a fire system and force a building evacuation? You know, because ultimately we're, we're always about, let's save life. Yeah, but there are, <laughs> you know, spilling hundreds of people out of a building creates another issue that you now need to manage. So it's, it's looking at and understanding how the building controls work in the various scenarios, what they were originally designed to do for you, and how they then work if they're stress tested, if somebody's doing something maliciously. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think you're right. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, they, they may think the best solution is to just throw money at it, you know, get the best, the greatest system out there. But then, you know, it falls down if your staff on briefed and how to use that. Exactly what you said, how to react in this situation. You know, when the alarm goes off, if they don't know what to do and they're just sat there like a rabbit in the headlights, then whatever money you've spent on that system is, is, is wasted and the system's already fell down. So the system's not just about the technical aspect you put in it. It's also training on the system for your staff on the procedures. Yeah. How to deal with yeah. the different scenarios that can occur. Um, everybody talks about the operational and operational requirement. So when you develop that baseline tool, you're looking at okay, what, what is the problem? Then what are the control measures we can, we can bring in to, to help mitigate it? So if you go through that, simple process you you know you like say it, it you do get that that um owl moment that oh <laughs> i never thought of it like that you know because i say a, a lot of what we do is is designed to, to to make the buildings op- operable uh, and try try and make them as resilient as possible to some of the some of the issues you know we've done critical control rooms you can't afford the mains power to go and yet the client says yeah but we're happy we're not putting in generators fine sign here because you know the mains power is going to go sooner or later <laughs> and you know so it's these these elements that if you know they're there test them you know and you know have you ever you know uh, black building tests where you literally take the take the building off the mains just to see what still runs you know because sometimes you know you get people say, "Oh yeah, don't worry, it's all covered by a reserve generation system," and then you realise that nobody's ever tested the reserve generator and it's now empty. Um, you know the spiders are all over it. So if if you're told a system's there and it's and it works, say, "Well, where's the proof when you last tested it when it last works?" And that's the same with your alarms, fire alarms, intruder alarms, etc. When were they last tested? How they maintained? Fortunately, here in the UK, we've got quite a good you know, there are standards there, et cetera, um, uh, to, 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 to review against. But you go, you go abroad and you don't necessarily have the same uh, level of um, due diligence mm-hmm. that you can rely and, 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 go, and, you know, and, and go back into to see whether things have actually been done. Yeah. I like that. And, and, and it reminds me of our previous episode on hotel security where, uh, a quick walkthrough of the emergency procedure found that the emergency door was bolted <laughs> shut. Um, things, things like that, and and I love, I love the uh, the examples you gave about doors. I, th- I think on a previous uh, session we had an example. Uh, someone had installed such a you know two hundred kilo door, 
but they got through the side wall with yeah. a mallet. Um, so, you know, obviously it swings, swings yes. and roundabouts. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how, how about a sensationalist question for you? Something future looking, something uh, that, that's just absolutely out there. What tech is coming down the pipeline that you think people are going to get excited about? I, I remember at the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine, everyone was saying, ah, I've got to get a Faraday cage, got to stop all these EMP pulses, which to be fair, if we're in that stage, we've got a bigger <laughs> problem. Um, but but, but what, what can people get excited about in terms of tech coming down the pipeline? Tech-wise, um, I mean, well, we, you know, the drones have been bumbling around for quite a while, uh, and, but we've seen them used to great effect, um, both by um, you know, in in the Syrian uh, area and and now again in in um, in uh, the Ukraine, you know, as a as a as a means, you know, as a standoff weapon system. But the other things, I, I you know, if when I look at physical attack and competency of um, uh, 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 burglars. And, and robbers, you look at well, what hand tools are changing. Now, some of the battery-powered hand tools and the you know, ha- angle grinders, you know, 18, 20-volt angle grinders that very quickly can get through most, <laughs> most obstructions. So I would, I'd not just worry about the, the you know, the, the Gucci stuff. I'd worry about what you can pick up at the hardware store that can be used to breach, breach your doors or windows um, in a forced entry, uh, a lot of a lot of the sites I deal with, where we look at that physical element, the big thing is that procedural response. Because now we're putting the member of staff that locks and unlocks the building, I think, at greater risk. If there's a if there's something there that attracts an attacker, then the easiest way to overcome all those physical controls is with the key. And the person who holds the key is the little old, the little old person that you employ to lock and unlock that building. <laughs> So what's the duress process that you're going to put in place to help safeguard that individual? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. I was thinking, I was, I, 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 of course, everything that, you know, we used to sort of talk about things you can buy on uh, Alibaba that used to be the preserve of nation states. Uh, people were talking about laser microphones being one pound 99. Um, but of course, a, a, an angle grinder or, 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 or just anything like that, that's, that's pretty pretty impressive um, from an attacker's yeah. point. Uh, like I say, it doesn't all have to be Gucci. Yes, you might use your your laser uh, microphone. Um, and again, when you look at, you've got to understand what that that threat element is. How skilled is this aggressor likely to be? Are they likely to employ that sort of technique? You know, a lot of a lot of things. I was watching some video the other day of a, a guy in his big Range Rover on the King's Road. His windows open. He's, his, his hand hanging out there with his nice big watch on and the, and the bikers just stopped around him, you know, showed a machete. He's like, yeah, here you go. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, keep your windows up. Don't, don't, you know, don't put your blingy wrist out. Um, you know, it's those, it's, li- it's little things that can have a big impact, you know. So it's, it's not always the high tech element. It can be just, you know, that brute force, um, attack profile, and we've seen quite quite a few um, top top end footballers lose a few wrist watches. Um, I'm I'm fortunate, you see. <laughs> they slide off normally. <laughs> yeah, for no, no, that's uh, for our listeners. Uh, Chris uh, has. Uh, 
uh, unique wristwatch uh, yeah. regalia. <laughs> I've got a wrist, no hand. <laughs> there we go, in, in basic terms. <laughs> Very good. Well, um, I, I love this. Um, you know, what's uh, what's next for you, Chris? Uh, where, where can people find you? Um, they can find me uh, uh, through my webpage, uh, which is uh, um, www.designsecuritylimited.com. Um, I'm normally uh, I'm normally kicking around uh, some of the design and build shows. Although personally, I now I spend more time at things like Future Build, and that because that's where people tend to be who want to buy security uh, design security skill sets. Um, but you know, uh, by all means, you can push out my uh, um, my email address uh, and web address. I'm quite happy if people have got queries or questions just to run through some well you might want to look at this and look at that as a as an aspect wonderful yeah we'll do that in our show notes uh, on uh, the second magazine podcast but uh, but no this is great fun and I, and I think as people are preparing for the summer and some people may go away maybe this is good preparation for such a such an occasion i don't know um but uh, yeah security by design it's been fantastic having you on chris um from sean and myself this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Thank you very much to Chris Aldous. I know you've spoken at a great many events and it's, it's wonderful to have your insight and especially why this matters for EP uh, today. And I don't know about you, but I definitely feel that I now need some sort of 200 kilo door. Uh, although, as you rightly pointed out, Chris, it's not going to be held up by the walls. And, and, and that's really the point, because no matter how much your principal wants something, there is uh, some consideration now, especially old buildings, new buildings, uh, listed buildings, lots and lots of security by design. Uh, Elijah, what did you take away from today? Well, the, the biggest takeaway for me for this is uh, how great an interviewer Sean is. But, you know, I just really like the way Chris kind of can convey the topic that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, there's a good friend of mine, Benjamin Azoli, and He's the one that opened my eyes to this topic. And, you know, in the way that he approaches security, he, you know, pulls in a lot of environmental factors and takes those into consideration. He, he works primarily in Africa and in some of the countries that he's in, just because there's so many challenges, you have to stack the deck. And so when he's dealing with his protectees, he's making sure that, you know, in addition to the, the physical security plan and the manpower, et cetera, you're taking into consideration those environmental builds. And that's why it was absolutely crucial that we had Sean on this, because, I mean, that's what Sean does day in, day out, you know, manage expectations and integrate into the most interesting uh, of buildings, which, you know, is, is a massive extension of his you know, role as a trusted advisor. So, Elijah, what have we got coming up that we want people to know about? Oh, in terms of things coming up, you know, what I'm most excited for is the fact that I'm finally going to get the opportunity to do one of my uh, Icon Advanced courses. So that's a 10-day course. So normally I do a five-day course and uh, uh, sometimes it's even a three-day course. The challenge is because of my schedule. And that three-day course or five-day course is on celebrity protection and behavioral intelligence. But I have this 10-day class and 
and it, it's really a great one. And I, I bring some of the heavy hitters in the industry uh, and we do some things that are really unique to the industry in terms of um, of offering the students of the course uh, just things that they can't get at anywhere else. And so I, I finally committed to carving some time out. Uh, it's going to be at the end of September into October. I believe that's September 26th to October 5th. If anyone's interested, you know, feel free to drop me a line. Uh, the website is www.industry-icon.com forward slash training uh, or shoot me a message on any of the socials. I'd be happy to a- answer any questions about it. But but that's the thing I'm most excited about that. Um, of course, the, the way you can definitely connect with me about this and anything else is inside the NABA Protector app. And so inside the app, there's communications that are going on all the time from individuals all over the world and some really wonderful networking opportunity. Um, I just got back from from Canada. And while I was in Canada, I worked with a, a number of different protectors there. And it's just amazing that, you know, people could have different backgrounds, even speak different languages. But if we all have those that kind of core principles and understand that the, the foundational aspects of close protection work, you know, you could fit right in, gel together and uh, and hopefully, you know, come out on the other side with a successful mission. So, yeah, that, that's it. That's it for, you know, what I'm most excited about coming up. And I was really pleased to uh, see so many protectors at an event in person, uh, but also hybrid um, in uh, the monument on cyber physical convergence. Hey, brother, the last thing I want to say is, you know, you know, you do a masterful job with all the events that you have. Uh, again, it's a wide variety of topics, but I've found them all to be beneficial to us as a protected community. So I, I do want to salute you for that. Uh, you're a valuable part of the circuit uh, family and circuit media and uh, and we've got some really exciting things coming up uh, for the end of this year but definitely for 2023 well that's very kind thanks very much for your support as well and of course uh, you out there our uh, BBA and NABA members for coming to all these events uh, it's great to uh, bring everyone along on a journey of discovery well uh, thank you very much to Chris Aldous for today's amazing session I think security by design it's just such a natural fit for today's protector and uh, you know to tomorrow's future f- special advisor to, uh, to, to, to high net worth so from Elijah and myself thank you very much this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast later everybody You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode. Well, that's very kind. Thanks very much for your support as well. And of course, uh, you out there, our uh, BBA and NABA members for coming to all these events. Uh, It's great to uh, bring everyone along on a journey of discovery. Well, uh, thank you very much to Chris Aldous for today's amazing session. I think Security by Design, it's just such a natural fit for today's protector and uh, you know to, tomorrow's future f- special advisor to, uh, to, to, to high net worth. So from Elijah and myself, thank you very much. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast.